And in our passage today, Paul enters Jerusalem at the right time. It's Passover. Jerusalem is crowded. But he first goes to meet with the elders of the church of Jerusalem. There is a reason for that. Because he has a testimony that he wants to share with them. And when he meets with them, he tells them about the impact of God's grace in Ephesus. He tells them about the power of the gospel in Athens and Corinth. He probably shares about Eutychus' experience. And they hear all these things that God has accomplished among the Gentiles and they praise God with Paul. The elders say, Hallelujah, praise be to the name of the Lord. And then they tell Paul, there's a problem. Paul is caught off guard here. If you look at verse 20, when they heard this, they praised the Lord. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. Now remember, Paul has just shared with them about the Gentiles. In Corinth, in Athens, in Ephesus, and in Troas, all that the Lord has accomplished among the Gentiles, they point him back to the Jews. Thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law, not for Christ, but for the law. They have been informed. There's a rumor going on that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles, Jews in the diaspora, to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. The Jerusalem church is slow in accepting the Gentile believers, but quick in accommodating the Jews and the law. There's a rumor going on that Paul is discouraging the Jews from circumcising their children and from following the law of Moses. These are very strong accusations because they touch on the heart of the Jews' people as their identity with God. They touch at the heart of the identity as the people of God. Circumcision was like a badge for a Jew. It's something they identified 
with. The law of Moses is their life. And so when Paul is accused of discouraging people from circumcising their children and following the law of Moses, Paul is accused of being against everything that makes a Jew a Jew. These are dangerous accusations. And these are the elders of the church. You see, the Holy Spirit had revealed to Paul that he would face suffering and prison, but he never told Paul that some of the accusations you're going to face will come from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, as believers, we can take it when the world accuses us. We expect that. We expect people who don't follow Christ to call us names. If you don't expect that, you will be disappointed. What we don't expect is our brothers and sisters in Christ to turn against us. See, when you are when you work with dogs, usually your body is very sensitive. Something tells your body that a dog is still a dog. And something can just happen. And so even though you, you love them and are caring for them, your body is usually prepared for any eventuality, because you know you are working with dogs. It's different when you're working with sheep. Sheep are supposed to be harmless. When you're working with them, your body is usually very relaxed. You don't expect a sheep to bite you. And so when a dog bites you, you may feel pain, but you somehow expect it to happen. So the pain will not be that much. But when a sheep bites you, you will feel so much pain because you were not prepared to be bitten by a sheep. You don't expect it. It's called sheep bite. <laughs> it's very painful. That's why we have so many Christians who are unchurched today because they are suffering from sheep bite. When they were among their brothers and sisters, they never prepared or even expected to be beaten. And so when it happened, the bite was so painful that they had to turn away 
even from their faith. And some of us here have experienced sheep bites. And you know how painful it is. And maybe some of us have beaten others. Paul is told here that the Jews that believed thousands of them have heard that you are against everything that makes a Jew a Jew, and they are zealous for the law. These are people that have one foot in Christ and one foot in their traditions and customs. They have accepted Christ as the Messiah, but they also believe that for them to be fulfilled, they still have to hold on to what was presented to them, which was meant to point them to Jesus Christ. And Paul is seen as a problem. Now we know that Paul never discouraged people from circumcising their children. We know that there's a time he took Timothy with him, and because he was going to minister to the Jews, he had him circumcised. We know that Paul teaches that circumcision is not necessary for salvation, and that is true. But he never discouraged anyone not to circumcise their children or even to follow the law of Moses. The only thing he emphasized on is that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. And so here, Paul facing the elders... The elders advise him. This is a very wise advice. What shall we do, they say in verse 22. They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have taken a vow. Take this man, join in their purification rites, and pay their, their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living, are living in obedience to the law. In other words, they are telling Paul, we want you to appease the Jews. We want you to impress them by going through a purification process as if Paul is unclean. For the sake of the Jews who are zealous for the law, who are zealous for the law. 
And Paul, because he desires to proclaim the gospel, he listens to the advice. In other words, Paul says, well, if this is going to allow me to continue ministering and proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not sinful. I will go ahead with it. And then Paul goes ahead with it. He goes to the temple. He does what needs to be done. And when the seven days of, of purifications near, when they are almost over, the Jews see the same Paul in the temple. And what do they do? They say, oh, thank you, Paul. We now know that you abide by the law. We are so glad that you are doing this. No. They see Paul, and the first thing they do, they start accusing him. It says here in the Bible, verse 27, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. Shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, against our law, and this place, the temple. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. How dare you, Paul? And they take him bring him outside the temple, and they start beating him. They are beating him, not because he's done anything wrong, but because they are not ready to fully submit to Christ. Not because Paul has taught anything against their law, but because they don't want to fully follow Jesus Christ. Paul is a troublemaker to them, even though Paul has agreed, submitted to the advice of the elders to undergo a purification that he didn't need to for the sake of the same Jews who wants to kill him. Do you see this? Do you understand what this means? See, Christians, we are always tempted to think that we know better than Jesus. We are always tempted to think that we have a better way of reaching out to people. The temptation is always to want to please the world so that we can attract the world to Jesus Christ, and it never works. We lie to ourselves, and many Christians do, that if we can show love to these people, they will come to know God. 
That if I can accept this lifestyle and affirm this lifestyle, they will see God's love and eventually they will come to Christ. That's why I'm asking the question, what happens when the church tries to impress the world? And from this portion of the scripture that I read, I can tell you confidently that when the church tries to impress the world, the church loses its voice. Christians who think that they can become like the world to attract the world, end up becoming weak and losing any influence that they had before. You will never stand in the world and witness for Christ. You can only stand in Christ and witness to the world. If we think that by embracing what the culture is pushing on us will make the culture embrace us, we are lying to ourselves. If you think that by accepting a lifestyle that does not please God will make those people love you, you have missed the point. If your goal is not to annoy people, you would better sell ice cream. If you proclaim the gospel faithfully, there will be people who will be annoyed. People will call you names. And you have to realize as a Christian that you have one voice. And it is the voice that calls people to Jesus Christ. It is the voice that says there is someone who loves you so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross so that you can be forgiven. That's our voice as Christians. We have Christians that have never shared their faith in their lives. We have churches today that are so involved in social programs, but they're not pointing anyone to Christ. We have churches that say all we need is to show people love and they will see God. All those are lies of the enemy. The gospel is meant to be proclaimed. Paul realizes that the elder's advice does not point people to Christ. He realizes that what they have said is not helpful. It's not helping him accomplish the mission which God called him to. He's almost killed 
while trying to impress the Jews. Until a commander, a Roman commander comes to rescue him, and I believe God uses that commander to rescue Paul. They want to get rid of him. And so when Paul realizes that my trying to impress the Jews doesn't work, he goes back to pointing people to Jesus Christ. And this time, he uses his own testimony. And so he asks the commander, he is beaten, he's probably bleeding. I don't even understand how he finds the strength to speak. But he asks the commander, he says, may I say something? In verse 37. And when the commander allows him in, in chapter 22, Paul says, and this is very important, brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. When they had him speak to them, they became very quiet. Then he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I studied under the most respectable, respectable teacher of the law. And this is very important, what he says next. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. See, Paul is using his testimony here to connect with his audience. He's telling them, I was where you are. He can see himself in them. I had the same zealous for God. He says, he unpacks that. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council, the council can, can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. But about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Saul is saying to them, I was in your place doing the same things that you are doing now and even worse. And then one day I encountered Christ and he told me that I was persecuting him. 
He's basically telling them, what you are doing right now, you are not doing it to me, you are doing it to Jesus. But he's also giving them hope. Because he's telling them, I was there too. And Christ found me there. And he can find you as well. I encountered him. And you can encounter him. You see, your testimony is the greatest tool that you can use to share the gospel. You don't have to exaggerate it. You don't have to be braggadocious about it. You just need to be real. If you have ever experienced the grace of God in your life, you have a testimony. If you have ever experienced God's power in your life, you don't need to know scriptures. You don't need to go to a Bible college. You just need to share your testimony because your testimony is God's story in your life. Your testimony talks of the power and the grace of God. Your testimony points people to Jesus Christ. Your testimony is your voice. That's your land. That's what you can use. And you cannot say that I, cannot, I don't know how to share the gospel with people. If you have a testimony, you know how. It's your story with God. It's how Christ came to your life and the transformation that he has brought. And no one can dispute that. You may have uh, an amazing testimony or what may appear to be amazing to some people, but as long as you have experienced the power and the grace of God, you have a testimony. You see, sometimes we think that for us to have a good testimony, we must have undergone a tough life. We think because this person was a drug addict and now he is saved, he has a good testimony. But this is what I say all the time. You may have gone through a tough life, you may have been a drug addict, an alcoholic, and God rescued you from there. You have a testimony. Yes, you do. But you may also may not have gone through those experiences. Maybe you got saved when you were a child, you were a child. Or maybe the way your parents raised you and the environment you were raised in, you did not have those experiences. You still have a testimony. This one glorifies God for delivering him or her from the addictions. And this other person glorifies God for keeping him away from those addictions. You all have experienced God's power in your own way and his grace. And therefore, you have a testimony. Amen. You will lose that voice when you try to impress the world. 
There are so many people who will benefit from hearing what God has done in your life. There's a song that we used to sing. It says, he has done so much for me that I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. He has done so much for me that I cannot tell it all. He has done so much for me. And if you are a Christian, the Lord has done something in your life. Even just the forgiveness of sins, the hope that you have in Christ, the peace that you enjoy, you have a testimony. You have something that you can share and point others to Christ. But there's something else that I want you to remember. That the same power that has transformed you is able to transform another life. See, sometimes as Christians, when we have experienced this new life in Christ, we are tempted to be self-righteous. We are tempted to look down upon other people who are not like us, who don't believe what we believe, who have a different lifestyle. Paul would later, would later write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I just read from verse 9 to 11, but you can read the whole chapter if you want. He would say, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These are lifestyles he's talking about. And then he says in verse 11, and that is what some of you were. And that statement should help you understand that there is no one who cannot be saved. There is no one who has fallen so far away that the hand of God cannot reach out to them. That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That means, as a believer, I live with this hope. When I look at our culture that is promoting ungodliness, when I look at people who are enjoying the evil things of this world, when I see commercials that are pro 
promoting uh, uh, idolatry. And when I hear stories of people that are promoting sin in the society, I go back to God's word. I read a passage like this and I am reminded that there is no one who has fallen so far away that God cannot reach. And because of that, I will continue to testify of the name of Jesus Christ. I am not accepting defeat because the moment I do, I will lose my voice. And I know that I have one voice and it is the voice of God. It is a trumpet call that calls people to repentance. It is the call that reminds people that God still loves you. Yes, you don't love him. You think you don't need him. You think he has nothing to do with you, but he still loves you. And in Jesus Christ, he is still providing a way for you. And you know, you, you may not be beaten like Paul. You may not face the Jews who will want to skin you alive, but you will experience some opposition. You should expect it. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, you may think that you don't need him. But a day will come when you will either be seated or lying down in depression, grieving that you never gave your life to Jesus Christ. A time will come that you will regret for not giving your life to Christ. And it is my, my prayer that if Jesus is not yet your Savior, that you will consider turning to him today, that you will ask him to forgive you and to save you. And he promises to do that. And when you do that, he comes to your life, he cleanses you, the Holy Spirit comes in, you become a child of God, and you begin a new life with Jesus Christ. And you will have hope. This world is never meant to be your home. There have been people before you who are not here today. And one day, you and I will not be here also. But we will be somewhere. We will either be with the Lord or we will be in hell. And God is giving you a chance after a chance to turn to him. That is the hope that keeps Paul going. That is the motivation that makes Paul continue to share his testimony, his faith, his voice. When the church tries to impress the world, the church will lose its voice. When a Christian tries to impress the world, thinking that the world will embrace him or her, 
and come to Christ, that Christian will lose her voice. That Christian will lose his voice. What is your testimony? How many people have heard your testimony? How have you glorified God through what God has done in your life? Either what he has delivered you from or what he has kept you from. And if you haven't, what will you do about it? Because that's a tool that you have that you can glorify God with. You see, every time, every time I meet with people and they start talking and someone tells me, let me tell you a story. I always listen. Every time I talk to people and I tell them, let me tell you something. I have never heard someone say, no, don't tell me. They start listening. It's as easy as that. Because your story cannot be disputed. No one can say, oh, no, God did not do that. They will listen. Because it is your experience with Christ. It's the best tool that you have. And then there are those moments in our lives that God reveals himself. Those experiences that we, he allows us to see him. Those are moments that we can share too. All those are tools that God is supplying us with. So Paul, in the end, he shares the gospel. He points people to Jesus Christ. Even though he goes to prison after that, he points them to Jesus Christ. I am sure there are some people in that group hear Paul's testimony and they are left thinking or even turning to the Lord because they can see the power. They can see the Paul who was persecuting and the Paul who is preaching. They can see Christ in Paul. And people can see Christ in you. Yes, they can. What is your testimony? Because that is your voice. 